Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and the Trump presidency. And before we start this episode, I'd like to draw everyone's attention to our new Not the New York Times offer, which we're offering to encourage readers to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is excellent. I edit it. Uh, and the reason we're running the Not the New York Times offer is because we are very unlike the New York Times. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the famous newspaper, uh, the most famous newspaper that America has, recently hounded out one of its best editors uh, because the paper had published a slightly controversial article. Uh, the paper's staff, and bizarrely many of its readers, now demand total conformity of opinion in the opinion pages. We think that's very boring, and we want to tell America that the spectator is different. We are a magazine, not a newspaper, and we take a very different approach to journalism. We've been around longer than The Times, in fact, 23 years longer to be precise, and we encourage our writers to disagree with each other. We want arguments, and we want people to disagree. It makes for much better reading. We also try not to take ourselves too seriously, and unlike the grey lady, as the New York Times is known, we never confuse the serious with the dull. We're new to America, and we want Americans to know what we're all about, which is why we're offering this special Not the New York Times offer with 50% off the normal price. If you go to spectator.us forward slash not dash NYT dash and you enter the code N-O-T-N-Y-T, you will get 50% off the Spectator's US edition. Please take up the offer. I'm joined by Matt McDonald, who is managing editor of the Spectator's US edition. And we're going to be asking, is Kamala Harris a good vice presidential pick? Matt, we were thrown sort of a few curveballs in the run-up to the announcement. There was a sort of rumour going round about planes flying from Maine, which is the home of Susan Rice, to Wilmington, where, where Biden is. But really, all along, Kamala, well, not all along, but certainly for the last few weeks, Kamala has been the front-runner to be Biden's vice president. So it's arguably the most unpredictable pick, would you say? It certainly seems that way. She also, when it comes to how she's discussed in the mainstream media, has tried to steer the conversation in her direction with a few carefully well-placed pieces. There was a big piece in the New York Times this weekend where she was talking about trying to challenge and push back on this perception of her as a tough cop prosecutor, which is with the central framing for her unsuccessful presidential campaign last year. But she instead tried to present a different side of her law and order record to show how she was kind of actually prepared to tackle problems within policing. So in, yeah, in some respects, it's not surprising. And there were a few last minute jitters, for example, as well, you mentioned the, uh, the Susan Rice flight, people also tracking the fact that Gretchen Whitmer flew from Michigan this weekend to meet with uh, Biden, and that was leaked. And then that prompted a letter signed by a hundred black activists who are saying, you know, if you don't pick a black woman, you'll lose this election. Unsure or not whether that whether that would have steered the Biden campaign's thinking in this, or whether it was always going to be up to him all along. He's long talked about Kamala Harris because she was a attorney general at the same time as his son, and therefore they've always had like a fairly decent personal relationship, which is why it was so shocking in those debates last year to see her going for the jugular and trying to paint him and his 
stance on busing back in the 70s. Well, let's, let's talk about that because, uh, I mean, it was sort of put about, it looked a little bit by the Biden campaign deliberately, that Biden was unhappy with the way that Kamala Harris attacked him as a racist. She, she said, in fact, it, the Trump campaign are trying to portray it as her attacking him as a racist. She did say, I don't think you're a racist, but, you know, what you said and what you did um, on busing and uh, speaking up for Dixiecrat senators. It's quite a hair-splitting difference, though, to say, I don't think you're a racist, but you voted for and stood by a racist policy. Yes, it was a, it was a Weasley way of putting it. But, right. But anyway, it, but it was sort of put about that Biden was upset by the way she attacked him. Um, and yet he doesn't really seem to have been. And in fact, not so long ago, there was a, there was a sort of leak, wasn't there, recently, when Biden was photographed with his notes. And it, at the top of his notes was a thing saying, you know, don't bear a grudge underneath Kamala Harris. So that, that suggests that it probably had been on Biden's mind for a long time. I mean, do you think that the delay to the announcement was because they were juggling different possibilities? Or do you think they were trying to find a way of timing it well? It had actually been decided a long time ago. I tend to bind to the fact that this decision was made fairly late on. Well, I do think all of those considerations would have come in to Biden's thinking. Like, you have to remember just how blind- blindsided he seemed in the moment at that debate when she raised that point and attacked him in that manner. And also, it came across, you know, it was a very viral clap moment on Twitter where people were, you know, super keen on her going in on Biden for that. It must have been pretty shocking for him. It's, he's had a fairly collegial relationship with her and a decent personal relationship with her through his late son, which is why that was so shocking. And in the lead up to the not holding of grudges, Chris Dodd, who was on Biden's panel, who was a former senator for Delaware, I believe, there was a story which came out immediately before the let's not hold grudges where Dodd had supposedly asked her about that assault in the debate. And Harris had laughed and said, you know, that's politics. And therefore, there was a moment late in the decision process where it seemed like perhaps that moment had cost her. But, but it could even be a kind of a trick almost to show... Biden's magnanimousness and also a kind of healing gesture to say sort of bygones be bygones he's been in public life for a long time he's done things that you know he may regret yeah. you know he's not a racist now so it could all be inauthentic pageantry which is what the initial attack came across like anyway so it's all show business you know <laughs> but let's talk about the law and order thing because I know you've done quite a bit about this your most popular tweets have all been about Kamala's role as a cop yeah, my few good tweets. Yeah, very few good tweets. But I mean, the, there's a lot of talk on Twitter at the moment about how this is going to hurt Biden with the progressive left. But I mean, I think the more sane response is that being tough on law and order is a good move for Biden at a time when the Trump campaign is having some success, focusing on the lawlessness in American cities and saying, this is what you'll get if you get Biden. It's obviously a super interesting argument for the Trump campaign to be making that, you know, this civil disorder is because the cities are controlled by Democrats, that a change in president will just make them worse. But then obviously you've got to remember like what impact is the current president having on disorder in cities, be that, you know, the rioting and looting ashore in Chicago this weekend, a number of, you know, killings in, you know, neighborhoods like what I'm speaking to you from right now. And I don't know whether that's going to factor into why Biden thinks that Harris is the right pick. But when it comes to voting blocks and and what she does, I think you're right to say 
you know, people on the far left are, are not going to be happy with her, who maybe were already gritting their teeth about voting for Biden. I don't know whether you're going to lose a significant enough number of those people in the states, which actually matters when it comes down to the Electoral College. When it comes to the black vote, I think it kind of ties into your piece from this week about Biden needing to select a do no harm candidate and about whether or not Kamala Harris is a do no harm candidate when it comes to the black vote. You know, let's not forget that effectively she has just lost the nationwide popularity contest. She had an opportunity to build a rapport and constituency with black voters, certainly in early primary states. That wasn't something that she ever achieved in South Carolina, which ultimately was the only primary state which mattered when it came to deciding who the Democratic nominee was. So it's a case of whether her as a candidate and her record as a prosecutor counts as enough of a net negative to encourage black voters to stay home. I don't think those black voters are going to go over to the Trump campaign, despite the Trump campaign's fairly strange efforts to try and recruit them. But that's where I think the, um, the decision would come down. It's interesting that it boiled down to two candidates. One is a sort of East Coast elite black woman, and the other yep. is a West Coast elite black woman. Both these black women, while still representing a sort of historic moment in being nominated for the vice presidency, were unlikely to really appeal to black voters. So it's, it's an odd dynamic. Sure, as well. And then Karen Bass is also another of the other African-American women who are being considered. Karen Bass is also on the West Coast. If you're trying to think smart and as far as the Electoral College goes and where you carry votes, that just hasn't been a consideration this year at all. I think effectively when it comes to the selection of a black or at least just a non-white a non-white vice presidential candidate, that doesn't really take into account the electoral map necessarily. It's more trying to think about emulating an Obama-style 2008 sweep of people of colour who wouldn't traditionally vote showing up to the polls. And potentially, some might think that Biden was going to achieve that anyway, just by virtue of being Barack Obama's vice president. So in that respect, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how significant the, this pick is. It might not have mattered at all, if Biden, because if Biden's the guy that those voters want, then he could have picked effectively anyone, as long as that person doesn't absolutely tank the ticket, as you so clearly and so brilliantly argued in your piece. This week. <laughs> well, I want to go back and say you're in bed Has there been a, a notable uptick in violent crime where you are? Does it qualify as Brooklyn? Are you just going to give out my postal address as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, a number of the violent incidents in New York City, a number of them have been in my immediate neighbourhood. Like There was a high-profile one which was nationwide news about a one-year-old who was shot that happened about you know five or six blocks away from where i am now so it's something which you don't, you don't necessarily like directly notice unless you are very tuned into that community but it's also something which you're aware of in the city and i know that there's certainly in, in the areas of brooklyn that i live in and my friends live in there are a number of gawping white hipsters who are obsessed over the citizen app and seeing how close the closest crime to them happened but it's still certainly a problem and it's one that would call for some kind of renegotiation of the local community's relationship with law enforcement in order to address it. Turning the conversation back towards Kamala, yeah. I think that if the Trump campaign go after her for sort of locking up black men unfairly, while still trying to attack the Democrats for creating chaos in the cities, it's a tough needle to thread, but they yeah. may be able to peel off quite a few black voters, and it may be that Kamala Harris isn't that exciting to black voters because she certainly wasn't when she ran for president the real balance is going to be how many sort of moderate white voters or non 
urban minority voters does she appeal to? I mean, does she appeal to aspirational suburban mums? She didn't seem to in her campaign, but she probably will more as a vice presidential candidate, I'd have thought. She's always aspired to New Yorker tote bag carriers. There's no doubt on that. Like, there's obviously a big wine mom constituency for Kamala. It's just a case of whether those votes matter. The other key flashpoint moment, you're going to love me for bringing up Tulsi Gabbard again. You had a, a moment where you had two candidates who are non-white women clashing on stage. Tulsi Gabbard brings up Harris's record as a prosecutor and in about 90 seconds kind of eviscerated her and turned her over, brought that to the fore and on the national debate stage. And there you had two non-white women who are treated completely differently by the vast majority of you know, left-leaning media in the US. When you're there on the ground on the debates, you see who gets pulled into sit down with you know, Dana Bash or, or I was going to say Chris Matthews, but not anymore. When it comes down to who in the spin room, who the cable news networks wanted to speak to in the immediate aftermath of the debate, they want to speak to the candidates who they think their viewers are most interested in. And after that debate moment where you had Tulsi Gabbard and Kamala Harris clashing, where Tulsi Gabbard brings up her prosecutorial record and really puts that on the national stage, even still after that, that made Tulsi Gabbard a more popular candidate with ultimately like third party voters and didn't really endear her as much to the Democratic base. But Kamala Harris was still treated like a mainstream contender. Kamala Harris was always treated as one of the people who was in the fight for the race. Again, she was a one-term senator, which ultimately is, yes, you can say it's the same criteria and amount of job experience that Barack Obama had when he was a presidential candidate. But if you're going by the identity politics wall chart of trying to work out which person is the most intersectional and therefore appealing to the Democrats, compared to Tulsi Gabbard, they basically sit about the same. And yet one of them got fantastic press and one of them got completely ignored and shunted away. And I mean, the reason she was perceived to have failed was because she isn't very likable. She seems personable, I think, in a sense. And I imagine she might be personal enough to be a good vice presidential candidate. But she was perceived to be nasty. She gives a very good impression of a nice person. Yeah. Which is typically Californian. (laughs) I mean... You've got to appreciate that. And like that's, for me, that moment where she went after Biden, it looked like acting to me. I saw that and liked her even less. I thought that that came across as so inauthentic. And even if the story which she's telling is true, she hasn't told it in a way which, uh, you know, resonates with potential voters. Obviously, I'm not a potential voter, but you know what I mean? So overall, Matt, do you think this is a do-no-harm candidate or as close as you can get to a do-no-harm candidate? I think that you could argue that... Kamala Harris is battle-tested in the because she's just been through that rigorous primary campaign. But I think what you saw of her in the primary campaign and the lack of appeal that she was able to generate means that she's a different proposition to say Tim Kaine was in 2016, where Tim Kaine was basically anonymous. You know, Maureen Dowd of the New, uh, New York Times forgot this weekend that he was even on the ticket. So Harris, I think, is going to be a more prominent or play a more prominent role in this pandemic election season, where she can get out there and do more stuff. But most people aren't political nerds and don't have the same problems with her that someone like me does and don't have the same problems with her that like online leftists on Twitter do. Most people don't, might not even be that aware of who she is. And maybe maybe when those people show up, maybe they'll like her. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll come to a different conclusion. People are talking a lot about the attack on Biden in the debates, but she also expressed support for uh, the woman who accused Joe Biden of sexual harassment. So she's effectively called Biden a racist and a rapist, and still he picks her. And she also expressed solidarity with Jussie Smollett, 
back when he was going through his fake hate crime moment. Yes. Despite what her ex-boyfriend Willie Brown was advising her to do and not accept the nomination if offered it, she's clearly not a good judge of character. Well, Matt, we'll leave it there. But thank you very much for joining us and speak soon.